Amen. So this morning the question is, it's one of those age-old questions, probably one of the biggest questions you'll find in, on Google that has the word God in it, or good, or bad, but why do bad things happen to good people? And in, in 35 minutes, I probably can't answer that question totally. But I think we can, we can dig just a little bit deeper than, well, nobody knows. Right? We need to know. And so we're asking questions. Asking questions. You know, the world's asking questions. And the world's asking the body of Christ If God, and it's understood that they're asking this, if you say that God is so good, then why do bad things happen to good people? And it's it's not enough to say, well, just because the Bible says so. You know, when you were growing up, you ask your parents on and on and on and on, question after question after question, and one question will lead to another question who led to another question. And sometimes the response from a frustrated parent is, because I said so, right? Well, God is never worn out with your questions. We live in an age of increasing knowledge. And the more knowledge that spins up and, and perpetuates itself out on the Internet, the more confused people become. The more confused people become, the more doubtful humanity becomes, right? Yes, I'm going to answer that question for you. (laughs) Because humanity becomes doubtful, because they become confused, because they're overwhelmed by the amount of knowledge that they're trying to process, the result of that is mistrust. I don't trust anything. I don't trust anybody. I verify and verify and verify, and I still don't trust. Isn't that true? That's the world that we live in. And we as Christians can't say, uh, because the Bible says so. Right? We shouldn't say, just because the Bible says so. Are you following me? I mean, alarms are going off. I can see it in everybody's eyes. He's saying that the Bible's not enough. No, the Bible is enough. But follow me in my thinking. Because I'm going to draw a distinction between two world views. Now, if you don't know what the, what, what the term is, worldview, it came into being back in 1850. Check it out. Uh, I did some research, and I verified it. Okay? Verifiable research says around 1850, the word worldview came into being through a German word. And this is, uh, it, by the way, worldview... The term worldview is, um, it ranks among the top 30% of words that people are using today. Popular words that are being used today, worldview is among the top 30%. It means the overall perspective from which one sees and interprets the world. It means a collection of beliefs about life and the universe held by an individual or a group. So what is your worldview? If you're a Christ follower, then probably you have a Christian worldview. And so I want to draw a distinction between a Christian worldview and a non-Christian worldview. 
and I'm going to kind of do it with this pulpit here, a non-Christian worldview and a Christian worldview. A Christian worldview is God-centered. God-centered. God is in the center. A non-Christian worldview is that man is in the center. Non-Christian worldview, and you may want to write this down, kind of, may kind of help you, because here's, the, here, here's why it's so important. When people ask you that question, why do bad things happen to good people, you need to understand what worldview they're coming from, right? It's time for the church to quit assuming that the world is looking at the world, or the non-Christians are looking at the world through a Christian worldview. And it's time for the body of Christ to put our, keep putting ourselves up superior than the world and then trying to win the world. Right? The world... The, listen, I can, I can kind of bottom line this. The world really, in their heart of hearts, doesn't want to have a debate with the Christians. They want to see, taste, touch, and feel the love of God. Now, if you, can, if you can express the truth of God's Word through His love, then their heart opens and they're ready to receive. But arguing and debating truth only leads to frustration and uh, division, if you will. You know? So these two worldviews exist, and we need to be smart enough to be aware that they exist and learn how to love people that God loves. And that's people that aren't in this room this morning. Let's just break the ice again because I can feel some like, where is he going? Where is he coming from? Say this, God loves everyone. everyone. Even those that aren't here. here. Meaning here this morning, in this room. We, We believe heartily, readily, that God loves us. But I'm going to challenge you. Do you believe that God loves everyone? Everyone. People that are blinded by other religions. Does God love them? Would he call you to step over the line and and minister to them? This is kind of just a tiptoe into the, the subject of apologetics, if you've ever heard the word apologetics. We've got to be as wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove, and we have to draw people in by the love of God enough that they can taste and see that God is good so that we can show them that God is good by our actions. This is the whole gospel. This is why Jesus came. He didn't didn't just send an email and download a file and say, read this, read this first, right? Get a load of this. He came down in flesh and blood and acted out the will of God before us. And that's what he's called us to do. So, the Christian worldview, God is the center. The non-Christian worldview, man is the center. The Christian worldview says God created everything. And the non-Christian worldview says God doesn't exist. So if God doesn't exist, how could he create everything? So that's why the either evolution or the Big Bang. I mean, you know, and if you're believing in evolution or the Big Bang, you're still, you're still using faith either way. 
You're believing something that the scientists can't even prove. So how about the cycle of mistrust? I don't know who to trust. I don't know. I can't prove anything. So you can't prove and you can't prove. And what do we believe? Why do we believe what we believe? Good question. So the Christian worldview says, okay, God created everything, but uh, sin brought death. And the non-Christian worldview says, well, if God didn't create everything, then there's no such thing as sin, right? No such thing as sin, no such thing as, uh, you know, because we believe that God created everything and man sinned, which brought death, then we need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. Well, the non-Christian worldview says, well, if God didn't create, then why, you know, we don't need Jesus. There, there, there was no sin problem, and uh, we as Christians believe... Christian worldview says salvation is unearned. It is based on the grace of God. There's nothing you can do to earn God's salvation. Again, the non, non-Christian worldview says salvation, why would I need salvation? God doesn't even exist. Right? Christian worldview, uh, we view as uh, heaven as a destination. It's our destination. But if you're a non, you have a non-Christian worldview, Heaven is, you know, a state of mind or it's just, you know, to be happy is, is the destination. A Christian worldview, earth is temporary. We're just temporary. We're pilgrims passing through this life. We're not, ta- we didn't bring, the Bible says we didn't bring anything to this, into this world. We're not, ta- surely we can't take anything out of it. The non-Christian worldview says I've got to get everything while I can. I've got to scrap and climb over people to get everything that I can on this earth today because it is my home. And we're saying as a Christian worldview, heaven is my home and heaven's maker is my father. We go to our father for answers, right? The non-Christian worldview goes to their feelings for answers. It's how I feel. It's what I feel that determines the answers that I get. If I feel like it, then it must be so, right? The Christian worldview says, uh, God rules my life. The, the non-Christian worldview says, I rule my life. Totally separate. And of course, the Christian worldview says, my goal is to be holy. The non-Christian worldview is, my goal is to be happy. So we see Christians who adopt Christ and follow Christ and start adopting the Christian worldview, but then make their goal to be happy. And they're very confused, very disgruntled with God because they believe God equals happiness. Right? And so a couple of weeks ago, we talked about um, where was God when, when I needed him the most. Some of the things that we're going to say today in today's message kind of parlay or overlay or dovetail with the sermon a couple of weeks ago. So I invite you to go back and, and listen to that. Psalm 25 and verse 5 says, lead me in your truth and teach me. You've got to... Hung- you, you've got, you've got to have a hunger for the truth. 
hunger for the truth. And that really the world is hungering for truth. They want to know the truth. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I will wait all the day long. So if we're waiting on God, we're waiting for him to teach us and lead us in his truth. Let me just tell you, don't get up from the table too quickly when he's feeding you truth. A lot of people get set free just a little bit. And they need to be set totally free. Set free totally. You need to wait on God, even if it takes all the day, seeking after truth. The bless, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be half full. No, filled, filled. In John 8, verses 31 and 32, Jesus is talking about abiding in his word. He says, you, you'll be my disciples indeed if you, if you abide in my word and let my word abide in you. And then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But truth can only set you free if you're abiding in his truth, in his word. Because truth comes from his word. So if you're not set totally free, you haven't abided fully in his word. See, the truth will set you free but only to the degree that you are pursuing the truth. The more you pursue the truth, the more set free you'll become. And I, I challenge you today, you're not as free as you will be if you continue in his truth. Right? It's a journey. It's a journey. It would be awesome if all of us were born again and God would just download the Bible, boom, right in here, and we would be able to quote it, We'd be able to respond to it and act on it. But it, guys, it's a process. It is a process to dig in the Word, put the Word in you, put yourself in the Word, put the Word in you, put yourself in the Word, put the Word in you, put the self... This session on renewing the mind. It is so important that every day you, you get up and purpose to forget the ways of the world so you can la learn the ways of God. It doesn't happen automatically. It just doesn't happen automatically. The more we know God, the more we know the truth. The more we know the truth, the more we're set free. We're set free from two things. We're set free from ignorance, and we're set free from uh, deception. Deception is believing a lie. Ignorance is just not knowing anything. You've seen good Christians. I've seen good Christians, too. They're, they're sincere, but just don't know. That's where we all started, right? It's okay to not know. It's okay to ask questions, right? And so we're, we're learning and we're growing and it's all right to ask and it's all right to not know. And it's okay to deal with doubt. You know, sometimes we, we raise such a high standard that we, we say without saying that Christians should never doubt. You know, why would you ever doubt? But there are a lot of Christians that are doubting because they've heard a lot of good messages, but they failed to put themselves in the Word and put the Word in themselves. It's, it's got to become personal, guys. Look at your neighbor and say, it's got to become personal. It has to be personal. <clears throat> 
So this question, why do bad things happen to good people? A person that asks this question could also be asking, you know, do people really get what they deserve? <laughs> that's, that's a big question, isn't it? That's a big cliff to jump off of. <laughs> do people really get what they deserve? But you know, internally in man, um, there is uh, this justice. We want justice. Why? Because God created us that way. In uh, the book of John, verse, uh, chapter 8 and verse 9, it says that they were convicted by their own conscience. The conscience is an internal self-knowledge or a judgment of right and wrong. And so God created us that way to want to know what is good and what is bad and what is the difference. What is good, what is bad, and what is the difference? And so why do bad things happen to good people? I want to I address the second part of that first. Let's talk about good. Good. We, we have to define who the good people are, right? What, what are we talking about when you say good people? Good people. Good people. Good people. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a good people. <laughs> in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 1, God created the heavens and the earth, right? That's what it says. Then you go on down in Genesis chapter 1, it says God created man. Now, God created man in his own image, in his own likeness, in his own image, and he took one look at him and he said, now this is what? Very good. Very good. Now, up to that point, God had created the heavens and the earth and the stars and the moon, the skies, the wind, the waves, the everything, everything else, and then God created man, and he said, this is very good. So I'm saying to you, God created every man good. Do you believe that? Man is good. Everybody say that with me. Man is good. That will deal with your belief system. Because the devil will try to convince you that there are bad people. There are people that have made bad choices. But God sees them, every one of them, through the blood of Jesus. Do you believe that? I can hear the wheels spinning. I didn't say everybody was saved and going to heaven, right? There's a difference. But you're thinking, I know you're thinking, I can feel it. I can feel the brain power in here. That's good. Man wants justice. God made everybody good. But does everybody get what they deserve? God blessed man. He, 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 he made man, but then he blessed man. That's why man is good. First God said, you're very good. And then he blessed man. He blessed Adam. Adam needed the ability of God to multiply and be fruitful. Because that's what God told him. He blessed Adam and he said, now multiply and be fruitful. And that was God's blessing. Without God's blessing, man cannot do good or be good in God's righteousness. Right? 
this is deep, and I'm, we, could, we could go for two series on this. Look at Matthew chapter 19, Matthew 19. God blessed man and made him good. Man is good. We say statements like this. To the world, guys, to the world we say, God is not mad at you. God loves you. So why would a loving God be mean or hurtful to somebody that he created that he called good? Right? You're following me. You're tracking with me. God wants to bless every man like he blessed Adam. And I believe he made a way. Look at Matthew 19, starting verse 16. Then a just man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. So Jesus, in this dialogue with this man, declares that God alone is good. But he also answers the man's questions, so he identifies himself with his father, and he does say that he is good. You see that? So he tells the man what he can do to have eternal life. Follow the commandments. At that time, you know, this is, this is very deep theologically, and I don't want to really get into this, but God, Jesus is identifying God as good. Can you see that? God only is good. Therefore, if God only is good, then he knows what is good and what is bad. Right? Do you see that? God knows what's good and what's bad. He is the just judge. Just judge. Now, here's a couple of more scriptures, and we're just going to go down them for the sake of time. But in Psalm 107, verse 1, it's going to show you the goodness of God. Give thanks to the Lord. Why should we give thanks to the Lord? Because he's good. Because he's good. We should thank the Lord because he's good. His love endures forever. Some verses say, there are other verses that say his mercy endures forever. His mercy is everlasting. Psalm 145, 9. The Lord is good to just the Christians. No, all. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that he has made. That he's made. That he's made. God made every person on this earth. They didn't fall from the sky. They weren't hatched from an egg that, uh, you know, some rooster laid. You know, man creates after himself. God created the fruit in the seed, right? I need to explain that. God made man. And all that God made, he's good too. And so Exodus 33, verse 19. He's talking to Moses. And the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Now, in that scripture, in that sentence there, he wasn't, God wasn't saying that I'm going to play favorites. Because in other places, many other places, 
God is good to all those that he made. So it is his desire, and I can prove this to you from the New Testament, it's not his desire that anyone go to hell. God did not make hell for people. And he called us and he gave us a job to keep people out of hell. Right? God is good. And because God is good, he can only do good. But what about when he casts Satan out of heaven? Well, but he's also just. There's the goodness of God and the justice of God. And so it it does get very deep very quickly. When you talk about the goodness of God, you talk about the justice of God. Right? Those, uh, whoever's had a child, raise your hand. Now, I bet you've said this. I bet. I got to go to this, well, some scenario where you tell your child, now I want you to be good. What does that mean? Be good. Be good. That's relative, right? <laughs> a child that's always in trouble if they're good, then, then maybe that day they stay out of trouble, right? Good. Who are you to say what's good? No, what do we really mean? Obey. Obedience. Obedience. God is our Father, and He asks us to obey. He asks us to be good, right? Good people obey. Obey who? Obey God. They obey God. Right? So write, write this scripture down because it's not on your notes. Psalm 7, 11 through 13. Psalm 7, 11 through 13. And I'm going to read this to you. God is a just, is a just judge. And God is angry with the wicked every day. If he, does not, if he does not turn back, he will sharpen his sword. He bends his bow and makes it ready. He also prepares for himself instruments of death. He makes his arrows into fiery shafts. We read the scripture and, and, and we go the opposite way because we can't, can't explain it. But it has, it has everything to do with God's justice. He has set boundaries because of his goodness. He set boundaries on this earth. And he said, just like he parted the waters and set boundaries, boundaries are good things. That's why you as parents are called to set boundaries in your child's life. If you don't set boundaries in your child's life, you will have a bad child that disobeys. Now, I didn't, I didn't say that God called him bad, right? Because God is the ultimate judge. He is the just judge. And he said, that child is good. Right? God made man good. But here's where bad comes in. Bad. Genesis 2, 17. Here it is. God said, he set boundaries, even in the Garden of Eden. That's why life with God is filled with boundaries. If you want to be totally set free from any boundaries... I'm going to be truthful with you. That is not a life away from our our life in God. Because God sets boundaries. 
Sometimes we give the idea to people that when they come to God, then that's all that they have to do to have a happy life. But God still has boundaries. And he told Adam and Eve, this was without sin, in the perfect earth, in the Garden of Eden. Here's what he said in Genesis 2, 17. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat from it, you will surely die. So, God set a boundary. And when Adam crossed that boundary, it became disobedience. So, Adam chose to disobey what God said. And the result of that was sin. And because sin came on the earth then there are consequences now for your choices. You make a bad choice, there's a bad consequence. And so a lot of the bad you see on the earth is a consequence from the bad choice that Adam made. That Adam made. Look at Romans 5 verse 12. Romans 5 verse 12. You know, this is where we use the S word. And, and as Christians, you know, we want the world to think that God is good. And He is good. We just sang it this morning. He is so, so, so good. But when there's sin, there's a consequence. And just because God set boundaries and said, if you sin, then there's going to be a consequence, does not make God bad. It makes God just because he created everything, right? Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man. That one man is talking about Adam. And death through sin. So that's how physical death came on the earth through Adam when he disobeyed and did exactly opposite of what God told him to do. Sin came on the earth, and we're still dealing with the effects of sin on the earth today. Anybody heard about the, the lettuce that nobody wants you to eat? Romaine lettuce. Don't eat it. Why? Because there's still disease on this earth, guys. We are not living in heaven. This is not heaven. I don't care how much technology man uses to, to make this world better. We're still not going to make it as the Garden of Eden was before sin. Now, man, on the non-Christian worldview, believes, again, that they can recreate this world with all of their knowledge and ability to make it a place of where heaven is on earth and this is our home and we can be happy. That's not God's will for man to make heaven on earth. There is a place. And Jesus said before he left. It was one of the last things that he said. I'm going to prepare a what? Place for you. That I may bring you where I'm going. This is not our home guys. That's why you can't. Sweat the small stuff. Don't let something. That happened that was bad. Ruin the rest of your life. 
Because we live on a cursed earth. There's things that, that we're not going to understand. I said it's all right to ask questions. But there's, there's a time when you keep asking the question and keep asking the question and keep asking the question and you don't have the answer that you have to stop asking the question. Why? Why? If God is so good, then why did this person do this or to me or to themselves or whatever? Why did bad happen? Was that God's will? No, it was not God's will because God is good. God is good. And His will is good. And He wants to show His goodness to every person that He created. He designed heaven for every person that He created. And He wants us all to go there. There is a way to go to be with Jesus and, and, and be with Him for all eternity. But there's this thing called sin. So sin entered the world through Adam and death came by sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. We were in Adam. We were in Adam. That's why we have some of the struggles that we have on this earth. The Bible also says, don't think it's strange that when you're tempted and tested, because that comes to all of us. But if we keep focused on God, He will show us the way of escape either through the fiery furnace or he'll shut the mouths of the lions or like Stephen. Stephen was being stoned, persecuted for his faith, and he looked up and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he graduated, took a personal elevator to be with Jesus. There's also the enemy. Look at John 10.10. We mentioned this a couple of weeks ago too. You have to realize there's an enemy of your soul and he is trying to shake you. He's trying to sift you. Jesus prayed for Peter and he said, Peter, I pray for you that your faith fail not. But Satan has desired to sift you, to shake you, to cause you to doubt so that you turn your back on God. And this is a problem we have with a lot of Christians, but uh, uh, they forget that there's an enemy. Maybe they've never even been taught that there's an enemy, but we're in a war. Every day our eyes are open. There's an enemy of your soul. John 10, 10 lays it out. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. So if we're going to have a full life, we only can find the full life through Jesus. Because he is the way, the truth, and the what? The life. L only full life can be found through Jesus. And listen, if we're looking at, if we're following Jesus, Jesus went through some tests, trials, and tribulations. They pulled off his beard. They shoved a crown of thorns in his head. Now there's one thing that we can't do that he did, and he, he paid the ultimate sacrifice with his blood. But listen, 
He fortifies us and strengthens us to walk through anything that we must walk through that we're calling bad. Right? Again, our goal is, is not like the non-Christian worldview that says, we want to be happy. This is where people confuse it. And we're wrong as Christians to promise that if you just get saved, everything will make you happy. God will make you happy. No. God will fortify you and strengthen you, just like we were singing this morning. He will fortify you and strengthen you. He will provide his own armor for you that you can put on every day and stand in the battle and say, I got my shield of faith. I got my sword of the spirit. Come on. Come on. Right? Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. Look at this. Ephesians 6, 12. Some people really act like there is no enemy. There's an enemy that's tried to to divide your marriages, guys. And you thought the enemy was your husband. (laughs) And husbands, you thought the enemy was your wife, but that's not true. There is an enemy that's trying to divide you. And one of his tactics is to convince you that your spouse is your enemy. Because if you believe that your spouse is your enemy, then the devil gets off scot-free. So we have to realize that we're in a war. And the, the reason that bad things happen is because the enemy is evidently involved in the lives of people on the earth. And those that are non-Christians, that don't have the armor available to them every day, walk around as instruments of the enemy. Jesus really identified this when he was walking on the earth. He said, you're of your father, the devil. Now, he, that wasn't an insult. He was just telling them the truth. But they had every, every, every opportunity at that very moment to quit following the devil and follow him. Right? But those that aren't following Christ are targets for the enemy to operate, instruments for the enemy to operate through. Doesn't make them a bad person. Paul told Peter, or I'm sorry, the Holy Spirit told Peter on the rooftop, don't call unclean what I've called clean. Does God love the Jew and the Gentile? Then he loves the Christian and the Muslim. He loves the Christian and the Buddhist. I didn't say the Buddhist was going to heaven. Don't put words in my mouth. (laughs) Come on now. I'm rattling some religious thoughts up in here. Really, but as Christians, it infuriates me sometimes the way we treat the world, but, and then we expect to win them over to what we believe by treating them like they are inferior to us. Without the grace of God, there go you. <laughs> You're without hope. You're without heaven. You're without a Savior. Without the grace of God, we need to remember where we came from. We need to remember before we were transformed so that we can identify with those 
that are hurting, that are lonely, that are suicidal, that don't have the answers that are in you. The answers that are in you. And the only thing that's standing between their answer is this bridge of superiority or this uh, uh, chasm of superiority. And the only way to get over that chasm of superiority is a bridge of love. Where you've got to identify. You've got to be moved with compassion and identify with those people that God would give you opportunity to speak the truth to them and love them to a place and be patient, patient, patient with them and love them enough to work with them because Jesus has worked with you for a long time. He hasn't given up on you. He hasn't given up on you, right? <clears throat> Where was I at? Ephesians 6, for the struggle, our struggle. Everybody's got a struggle. Our struggle. It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against powers of this, uh, of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So just because something bad happens to a Christian doesn't mean that it was because of that person's sin or their parents' sin, like the person that was blind that Jesus ministered to. God never abandoned you. He hasn't abandoned you yet. And it's not his will for any bad thing to happen to you. We cannot determine God's will based on things that happen circumstantially in the world because there are accidents that you can't explain there are circumstances that you can't explain there are things that happen in this earth on this earth because it's cursed is we're living in, we're living in borrowed time on a cursed earth John 16:33 look at this John 16:33 Jesus said I've told you that these things I've told you these things so that in me you can you can have peace and in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I'm glad for the but because he said, he said what to do when you see the trouble. Take heart. Take heart. Take strength. Take courage. Joshua 1, it says, be courageous. Be, be strong and courageous of good courage. Take heart. Because God guarantees that he will be with us through it. As we turn to him. Jesus said I have overcome the world. And that's what he's saying. So here's the answer guys. Matthew 5.43. Jesus said. Matthew 5.43. The New Living Translation says. You have heard the, the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way you'll be acting as true children of your father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight. To both the evil and the good. This, Jesus is using the, the example of sunlight like it's a good thing. Josh was talking about growth. <laughs> in order to grow, in order to be green, in order to be a plant, be fruitful and multiply, you have to have sunlight. That's the way God designed it. So Jesus is using an analogy here that we can understand. God gives his sunlight to the just and the unjust alike, the good and the evil. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. 
but you're to be perfect or mature, even as your Father in heaven is perfect or mature. Right? A mature Christian can love someone that's not like them and cross that, cross that bridge to minister the love of God so that it opens that person's heart so that they see, taste, and touch the goodness of God. Look at your neighbor and say, you're the goodness of God walking in the flesh. You may not have realized that this morning when you rolled out of bed, and you probably looked in the mirror and you probably didn't even think that. You're the goodness of God walking in the flesh. But listen, this week, God is going to use you to be good to someone. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, when it talks about love, I love this one attribute of love. I love it. I love this attribute of love, pun intended. It is kind. It is so kind. And kindness talks about the goodness of God. You don't have to be mean anymore. Give a notice to your face. You can smile. <laughs> I would say turn to your neighbor and tell him to smile. but <laughs> I'm telling you, smile. Notice your, give notice to your, faith, uh, to your face. Notify your face that you're a Christian. Smile. Kindness, guys, is so powerful. It is so powerful in the days that we're living in because most people mistrust. Most people doubt. They're so filled with confusion and anger and hate that a kind Christian that would love somebody enough to do something that no one else would, that's what Jesus is talking about here. That's us. That's us. In Psalm 145, verse 9, we read it before. The Lord is good to all. He's good to all. He rains down His mercy and His grace on all. It's just up to us to receive it, right? So today we have a chance to receive the good thing that God has for us. Look at this. Romans 5, 19. Last scripture here, guys. Romans 5, 19. For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners... So also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. Because the work that Jesus did reversed the work that the devil did. For us who believe. Everybody say believe. believe. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, whoever believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, shall be saved. And so, listen, it's not hard to get saved. But I think there are a lot of people that need to know what they're doing before they do that. Because I was saved at 11 years old and had a supernatural experience when I was 11, but I didn't even realize what had happened to me on the inside. And I was in a good church. I was in a good, you know, my parents weren't, weren't bringing me up in the way of the Lord. They weren't teaching me what happened when I got saved. But I believe there are a lot of people that may have said a prayer but didn't even know what they were doing. My dad was one of those people. 
he said a prayer and about three months before he died he, he actually confessed the truth and he said I prayed a prayer years ago and it came from my head and didn't come from my heart so maybe you're in here today and maybe you've prayed a prayer and you didn't know what you were doing We need to teach. We need to disciple those who believe in Jesus, who are following Jesus. Without expecting them to be a mature adult Christian overnight. Right? So I want to pray for you.